Welcome to Podship Earth. This is your host, Jared Blumenfeld. The chant of Si Se Puede, or Yes We Can, is a rallying cry for justice, freedom, and dignity that was born from the heart and mind of civil rights revolutionary Dolores Huerta. The chant of Si Se Puede has been taken up by many movements, from Barack Obama's 2008 presidential campaign to the fight for climate justice to the continued struggle for workers' rights to Spain's anti-austerity campaigns of 2019. Martin Luther King Jr. said that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. We all know that it only bends towards justice because of individuals willing to put themselves on the front lines of the civil rights struggle. Dolores Huerta, who turned 90 on April 10th, 2020, has never left the front lines. She's a force of nature that has transformed the lives of those who grow and harvest the food that sustains each of us. Creating the farm worker movement with Cesar Chavez, she is the mother of the modern labor movement. She also came up with the idea that consumers have the power to shape and push industries, like grape growers, to improve farm worker conditions. She then led the labor negotiations to memorialize worker benefit in the nation's first-of-their-kind collective bargaining agreements. Dolores is a fearless and incredibly effective advocate for legislation. She championed the landmark bill in 1960 to allow people to take the California driver's examination in Spanish, and she's never stopped. Last year, she helped enact legislation to create California's fund for safe and affordable drinking water. Huerta, who describes herself as a born-again feminist, consciously incorporated feminism into her fight for workers' rights and pushed Gloria Steinem in the 1960s to expand the feminist movement to include issues of race, thereby helping make feminism a movement for all women, not just white women. From the beginning, Dolores Huerta has also been an environmental champion, fighting to protect workers from harmful pesticides, standing shoulder to shoulder with Native Americans at Standing Rock, and picking up litter after every rally she led. I talk about Earth Day's 50th anniversary with my hero and living legend Dolores Huerta, who's currently working 14-hour days with her foundation, to make sure farm workers have access to protective equipment, food, and benefits during this pandemic. And if you thought you knew everything about Dolores, we also talk about why she loves Burning Man. Dolores, where are you right now? Uh, Right now, I'm in the belly of the beast. I'm in Bakersfield, California, oil country. Bakersfield and all of Kern County are are going through really rough times right now, Dolores. There's a lot of... uh, People that have been laid off, I think it's over a thousand oil workers that have been laid off. One of the companies has completely shut down. A lot of people are unemployed. It's really tragic. But we know at the same time, and that's why we see that our air is a little cleaner. Uh, Usually here in Kern County, we are one of the worst areas for pollution, for air pollution in the country. And we know that that air pollution really affects not only 
the physical health, especially of the children, but also the mental health of children. Here we have uh, not only two freeways that connect here, Highway 99 and Highway 5, uh, but then we have all of the pollution that comes from uh, the agricultural industry. These are industrial growers that have not really converted their uh, tractors. Uh, they're still using a lot of diesel. So it's a big struggle. And uh, when you try to bring this to, to their attention, they uh, consider this to be an attack instead of uh, thinking, okay, what do we have to do to make them more economically friendly uh, jobs for people? So these are the challenges that we have ahead of us as we try to you know, convert all of the fossil fuel industries into industries uh, that are more friendly for everybody. So, Dolores, in the late 50s and 60s, when you were founding the farm worker movement and, and really bringing those issues to the fore, when were the environmental issues like drinking water and, and air quality and pesticide runoff, how did those issues first come to your attention? Right at the beginning, at the very beginning, you know, I grew up in Stockton, California, which is also an agricultural area. I was in a field and I see this, what I thought was fog rolling in, but I thought, how can you have fog in the summertime? Well, it was a cloud of pesticide residue that was rolling in. And uh, what, that was one of the first uh, things that farm workers complained about about uh, the effects of pesticides. And so we had so many cases of pesticide poisonings. Sometimes entire crews, like 30, 40 people, were being poisoned at the same time. How could this happen? Such low regard uh, for the health of farm workers. So one of the first contracts that I signed, uh, we made the employers tell ex exactly how many pesticides they were going to spray and uh, where they were going to be sprayed at. And then we passed our legislation to make sure that the fields were posted and when they sprayed some of these dangerous pesticides. And then we worked very, very hard to, to get some of these dangerous pesticides restricted and banned forever. Unfortunately, a lot of the pesticides that we had got banned, like DDT, they were then shipped to uh, Mexico and to Latin American countries. And so here, where we had all of these uh, farm worker children that were being born with these horrible deformities being born without arms, without legs, so horrific. And here you had the children in Mexico and in parts of Latin America that were then having exactly the same type of effects and disabilities that were coming from pesticides. My son-in-law, his father, who sprayed pesticide, died of lung cancer. His 15-year-old cousin died from pesticides. Now his mother is suffering from cancer. So uh, the, these are terrible things that have happened here in the valley. You know, the real name is economic poisons, economic poisons. So it's it's an ongoing issue, and uh, I wish I could give a, a rosier picture of that, but unfortunately I can't. Dolores, you've been at the forefront of pushing to get safe and affordable drinking water for Californians for a very long time. Luckily, we do have uh, some light on the horizon on that one. For over a decade, uh, we've been trying to pass a bill in the state legislature, and uh for years, we couldn't get it passed. We finally got it passed in the last uh, session of the legislature with uh, Governor Newsom coming in, and uh, they are going to spend millions of dollars now to clean up all of the contaminated water because there were over a million people in California who actually had to drink uh, contaminated water, water with arsenic and pesticide uh, residues, uh, TPC, etc. and uh, eventually we'll have safe, clear... <laughs> cool drinking water for the people in California. As we know, it's always poor people that get the short end of the stick, so to speak. 
So in many communities, including my own daughter, who lives in a rural area, where people were actually had to pay a water bill, and at the same time, they had to buy water to be able to drink and to be able to wash their clothes in. So it was very expensive for them to have to pay a water bill. It's hard to believe that people in California in 2020 have to pay for drinking water that's not fit to drink. And then they also have to buy bottled water. How do you, how do you stop yourself from getting cynical? Well, I, I think uh, so we don't become cynical and we don't become discouraged. Uh, we just got to look and see where we were at before and to see what the future looks like. The one thing that we know is that so much of what we do uh, just depend on who represents us at the state legislative level, who represents us in the Congress. I think that is really promising is that now when we celebrate Earth Day, this is something that is on everybody's agenda, especially our young people, you know, who are doing demonstrations. And we think of, of Greta, the young 14-year-old young woman uh, who has made such an impact. And when kids have been walking out and doing these demonstrations, then I do feel hopeful about making sure that our planet is taken care of. Talking of standing up for the planet, Dolores, didn't you go to Standing Rock um, and protest the, the XL pipeline. I was in the, at Standing Rock at the Sioux Reservation there in North Dakota uh, when you had so many thousands of people that gathered there and uh, trying to stop that pipeline. And here you had like an entire city that just overnight you had all of these thousands of people there uh, that came together to try to stop the oil pipe from being built. And they, all people had cared uh, about the environment. And, and the other thing, too, is I think you know, we don't really respect or celebrate our Native American culture as much as we should. Here you had thousands of people had gathered there. There was no drinking water. There was no electricity, uh, none, none of the uh, usual infrastructure that we think about. And yet people were able to share food. Uh, they shared resources. Uh, people supported each other. And it was just a beautiful way to, to show that people can really support each other and take care of the environment. And not only, but, but fight for the environment. So we don't know exactly what that, that is all going to end. But we see Native American people in Canada that are also fighting for the environment. So I think if we could do more teaching of our Native American principles about caring for the earth and something that we can start maybe even teaching in, in our schools, uh, because I think children understand that we are contaminating the earth and that they're the ones that are uh, going to have to suffer the consequences. I'm more impressed because every demonstration that I see on TV that relates to the environment or workers' rights, there you are at 90. So how do you have the energy and the stamina? I'm just stunned at your incredible capacity to be present, to show up, to fight, to to say what you believe and to grab a megaphone and, and be so eloquent? Like, how do you find the, the energy to do that? Well, I, I don't think we have a choice. We've got to get out there. We've got to demonstrate. We've got to do the advocacy in any way, shape, or form that we can to right the wrongs and uh, to correct the damage uh, that has been done. And so with me, it's, it's not even a question of should we be out there should we be working? I mean, there's no choice on this. We all have to get involved. So it's educating people to, to make sure that our carbon footprint is, is small. And there's some things that we can do as individuals. And then there's other things that we have to do at the legislative level. 
in a, on a grander scale. But it's like right now with the pandemic, everybody's been asked to stay at home. And we know that with some people, it's a lot harder than others. But just by staying at home, we know that we are helping stop the spread of the COVID-19 virus. And I think if we can get this mentality kind of instilled in everybody that if all of us stop using plastics, uh, this is one way that we can uh, help the environment. And that might seem like a little thing to do, maybe not buy things that we don't need, you know, our whole materialistic culture also adds uh, to uh, harming the environment. We do have a materialistic culture. Going back to the indigenous way of living, if we can, you know, just uh, buy the things that we need. And there's so many other things that we can do just on packaging, you know, that elaborate packaging that doesn't need to be packaged. Even our groceries, you don't have to have everything packaged. Just think of ways, very simple ways that we can stop contaminating the planet. How would you suggest labor and environmental organizations and and individuals could work together? I think we have to kind of focus also on creating uh, jobs that are eco-friendly for the labor movement and uh, trying to get uh, good wages for those equal jobs. And then I think we will get more support from the labor movement. I remember that you marched with Jane Fonda and Tom Hayden back in the 80s to stop nuclear power plants. Um, you and Jane Fonda are just so active still. It's amazing. Jane Fonda is continuing to have her. Now she's doing her uh, Fire Drill Fridays. In fact, we'll be having one in, in Bakersfield tomorrow <laughs> up at the San Joaquin Valley, like, calling attention to how the fossil fuels are, are contaminating uh, the earth. But it's, this is a kind of activism that I think that it takes. And uh, just to keep doing it until people understand and making it easy for people to participate. And uh, that's how we can make it happen. On a personal, almost spiritual level, you spend a lot of time in fields outside in California, all over the entire state with workers. How has your own relationship to the land and the earth evolved or changed in your life? Well, in my upbringing, I was a Girl Scout <laughs> to the time I was 18, and then uh, I became a senior scout after that. So I was actually, I guess, in Girl Scouting for about 13 years of my life. One of the things that we learned in Girl Scouting uh, was, of course, how to take care of the earth. And we had the uh, our Girl Scout also was that we had to uh, create a better world. And that really, and my kids make fun of me all the time. You know, I'll be picking up litter, and they say, Mother, don't be doing that. I said, I can't help it. I'm a Girl Scout. And uh, when we would have our big rallies uh, with the farm worker movement, we'd have like a thousand people at a rally. And uh, one of the things that Caesar always told everybody, please, uh, everybody, wherever you're at, pick up whatever papers you can. So when we left those parks, they were pristine. They were clean. Dolores, I heard a rumor that that you're a burner, that you went to Burning Man. Is that true? I've been to Burning Man, and then you have like 60,000 people that congregate for uh, the Burning Man week. When you leave Burning Man, you've got to pick up every little piece of paper, glitter, feather, whatever is out there. Uh, or else, you know what? If you don't, you're not welcome to come back. I've never been, so you have to tell me about it. 
Oh, it's quite an experience. I definitely recommend that. It's an art experience because they build all of this beautiful artwork and, and at night it's absolutely magical. And again, like, like in Burning Man, here's a, another, a, a place where you don't have uh, the uh, infrastructure of uh, gas or electricity and yet everybody gets along. It's so beautiful. Uh, people share everything. Uh, there's no money exchanged at all. The only thing you can buy at Burning Man is uh, coffee. Uh, chocolate and uh, ice. When you go to Burning Man, you've got to take a gift with you that you can give out to people, and you've got to take up your own food. It's kind of like camping, but at a much higher scale. So, Dolores, not only have you been one of the world's most important civil rights leaders, you've also been a mother to 11 children, which is an incredible accomplishment. Tell us about that. All of my all of my children, uh, I lost my oldest daughter. She had schizophrenia, and she passed away a few years ago. They're all very involved, either with my foundation or they're all doing uh, justice work on their own. My oldest son, Fidel, is a doctor, and uh, he's a family practice doctor, and he uh, works for the Kern Regional Center. He's in charge of all of the children of special needs and some adults of special needs. And my daughter, Angela, is an oncology nurse. Uh, she was an ER nurse before. My daughter, Marielena, is the director of a YWCA center in Los Angeles, and where they do incorporate, by the way, environmental practices uh, in the community work that they do there. Camila Chavez, who is my youngest, is executive director of our foundation. She's the one that keeps all of the wheels turning and moving for our foundation. And right now, uh, we're getting ready to go into a lot of the delivery of services uh, to farm workers and guiding them to the resources that they need uh, so that they can survive this, this pandemic. Uh, we've been working on the census very intensely uh, since July of last year, uh, doing door-to-door, but we had to convert that to phone banking. And we're active in about 17 different school districts, making them uh, more uh, friendly to students of color. Uh, to stop the expulsions and suspensions of our minority kids. It's hard to believe, you know, the amount and the strength of what you're doing. What are the needs that farm workers have right now that you'll be providing to them during this pandemic? Well, uh, some of the farm workers are essential workers and they are working. The problem is because uh, the children are at school, one of the parents has to stay home with the children. The other problem is that you have these, the food banks that are open are not open during the time that farm workers can, can access the food because they go to work early, they get out of work late, and by that time all of the food banks are closed. Uh, so we're in the process right now of setting up uh, food banks uh, that will actually uh, be uh, operating during the time that the workers can actually uh, get the food. So many of the farm workers aren't documented. So uh, we're uh, getting ready to distribute uh, some of that uh, funding to undocumented workers. We're active like in four different counties. We're in uh, Kern, uh, Tulare, and Fresno counties. And also we do some work up in the Antelope Valley, up there, a place called California City, and uh, part of L.A. with Palmdale, Lancaster area. So we're really working uh, quite extensively. And we're also doing some work with uh, the homeless people up there in the Antelope Valley to make sure that the the homeless people have access to that food. Thank you for that work. Um, One of the things that I noticed, Dolores, when um, I was talking to farm workers in Salinas and Monterey counties who were picking strawberries is they were saying that, that they now all have cell phones. And so they kind of crowdsource the information through their cell phones to let people know where's a good place to work, where they have proper benefits, and where are the bad people. So it's amazing how technology is is helping the movement. 
Yeah, and that's one of the things that we're actually uh, going to enhance. Uh, we've had our first uh, Zoom call with some of our leaders, and it was wonderful to see all of these uh, leaders from our different areas get on one Zoom call. And some, they were so excited because many of them had never been on a Zoom call in their lives. And uh, we have, you know, tablets that we were using for the census and our door-to-door work. And now we're going to distribute those tablets because uh, part of our plan is to be able to communicate with everybody. The other thing uh, people are asking is, well, how are we going to identify undocumented people, for instance, or people that need services to make sure that the people that really need them will be able to access them? Well, we're actually... Using our GIS program, I'll give you an example. Again, in Lamont, California, which is one of the first places that we organized, our organizer has already identified over 50 undocumented people that would be eligible for the stipend that they could receive. A number of years ago, you were the subject of a life-threatening assault when you were protesting at the time George Bush in San Francisco. And I mean, it, it nearly killed you. How did that change the way that you view activism? I'm amazed at how forceful you still are, given that your life was put on the line. Well, uh, yes, you know, there's a saying in Spanish that says, uh, no hay nada mal que algo bien no sale, in English that uh, translates into, there is nothing so bad that something good doesn't come out of it. And in my case, because I didn't have any kind of a pension, because when we work with the Farm Workers Union, uh, we just worked for a small stipend, but we didn't have any cash in hand. And so what happened after my beating is uh, we sued the San Francisco Police Department, and uh, I received a monthly check of $2,000, and that plus my minimal Social Security, which is $600 a month. This is the way that I am able to live and to continue to organize. And so in some ways, it was a blessing in disguise, because I don't know what situation I would be in if I didn't have that $2,000 a month. Because my Social Security is so small, it's only $600 a month, that uh, I would not be able to live. All of the money that I raised uh, uh, for goes to the foundation. And right now we're working on a huge capital campaign because we want to build a center uh, where we can do organizing. And we have a credit union, a daycare center, uh, a, a kind of a museum, an art gallery. And it will have an auditorium and meeting spaces and offices. We want to continue the work and we want to try to get more people all over the country to join us and uh, get people to become activists and make them understand that they do have power, but that we have to have to harness our power, not only our individual power, but our collective power by working together so that we can uh, protect Mother Earth, cleanse Mother Earth and uh, make her livable for our future generations. In both California and Washington now, April 10th is officially Dolores Huerta Day, so happy birthday. What present would you want from all of us, Dolores? That birthday present, of course, is to get out there and be sure to register to vote, be sure to vote, and please organize somebody else to come into the environmental movement. You know, we should keep talking to people. Sometimes they won't listen to us the first time, but if we keep talking to them, they say it takes seven times for people to really get the message through. But if we can keep talking to people, organizing them, and say, let's all join together. Cesar Chavez actually passed away uh, April the 23rd, you know, and I know this year we were celebrating Earth Day on April the 22nd, and Cesar was a person who was so committed. You know, he was a vegetarian, as as I am, uh, but he, uh, again, coming uh, from uh, indigenous roots, Cesar's family were 
uh, Tarumara Indians from Chihuahua, Mexico. But he was somebody that was uh, talking about living the life of, of an environmentalist. Uh, this was Cesar Chavez, and, and he instilled that a lot into all of the movement. And of course, with the Dolores Huerta Foundation, uh, we follow a lot a lot of the philosophies uh, that Cesar, and by the way, his philosophies came from Gandhi. Uh, he was a devotee of Gandhi's, uh, as I was, and uh, we have so many great teachers out there, and uh, so we can follow those uh, practices and those methods and make them part of our, our lives, our, our daily life, but also in terms of the uh, behaviors that we have and the habits that we can incorporate uh, into our daily lives to make sure that we protect the environment and the world. A huge thank you to Dolores Huerta for talking with us today. Her indomitable spirit, fearless advocacy on behalf of farm workers, women's rights and the environment, and her boundless energy is truly remarkable. But what strikes you the most when you're in Dolores' presence is her humility and compassion. She knows exactly who she is, and despite being awarded every honor under the sun, including the Presidential Medal of Freedom, she continues to walk shoulder to shoulder with farm workers early in the morning to make sure their needs are taken care of before her own. Dolores is truly selfless. She never thinks about how she will profit or benefit, only how the lives of others can be improved. This selflessness is contagious. We all want to be around generous, loving, giving people. These are the people that ultimately make the world a better place. Thank you, Dolores, for giving us the courage to act from the heart and to take the steps no one thought was possible. And thank you so much for being part of the Podship Earth journey from the entire Podship Earth crew, sound engineer Rob Spate, executive producer David Kahn, and from me, Jer Blumenfeld, let's make every day Dolores Huerta's birthday.